Hello and welcome to another edition of the Purple Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Parker Fleming, and I have with me, as always, my co-host and friend, Grant McGalliard. Grant, how are you this evening? I'm doing wonderful, Parker. Uh, just, you know, a lot of fun-filled days in public education as we get back to the start of the school year. Uh, so we're, we're doing great. Um, I understand you uh, are still in the great Midwestern area in an unspecified location, drinking a cool-looking beer. The 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 I I'd say I'm flirting with the Pacific Northwest at this point. Uh, it's as comfortable as I, I am revealing my location, but um, there are mountains involved. Um, and we'll be here for a month, which is nice. We've been doing a couple of travels where, you know, we stayed a week here and there, and that just gets old pretty quick. So I'm excited to be be here for for a little while. Um, wait, also you have some big news. I think the viewers want to know about this. Um, a a, a recent uh, re-edition has been made to your household. That's correct. Uh, Max Doggin is back from training. Um, he's currently tearing up one of my couch or one of my chair cushions as I record this podcast. Uh, look, they're like three bucks each. A uh, lot of on leash training. He's doing great there. You know, he's uh, heel, sit down, all those things. Um, so it, it, I'm good. it's glad I'm glad to have him back. The house is really quiet without him, and uh, you know, even if he is making unruly noise, it is still uh, good to have good to have the old fella by my side again. Would you say that he is in the best shape of his life? He is absolutely in the best shape of his life. Uh, there are a lot of scouts coming to camp now just to kind of see what he's, what, you know, what he's doing. Um, I would say he's probably put on a good 10 pounds of solid muscle. Uh, so that's certainly a great addition. Uh, he, he's, he's more cerebral. I would say he's really a student of the game. So uh, we're really looking forward to see what he can do uh, in the upcoming season. Absolutely. I'm totally hijacking this to talk actually about TCU. I got a DM the other day that caused a visceral and physical reaction in me. (laughs) It said, and I quote, Max Duggan has gained 13 pounds of muscle this off season. I just got goosebumps saying it out loud again. Oh my God. That holy hell. I'm uh, not so, able to do the uh, the podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm. Uh, subscribe me to that list is is all I'll say. Um, Grant, speaking of the podcast, what what are we doing tonight? Uh, generally, we, well, I, we have a lot a going special, on. There is a lot going on. We, we are previewing Iowa State first and foremost. But before we hop into the Iowa State preview, we have a very special guest. An interview with, uh, in my opinion, the best college football writer on the planet currently. Uh, Spencer Hall joins the Purple Theory podcast uh, for for a quick hit on rele- uh, not relegation, although TCU may be relegated, but uh, realignment and uh, and the state of the TCU Horn Frogs. Yeah, this was a, this is a fun uh, fun little conversation. Um, we'll toss it in here at the beginning, I think, and uh, just get his perspective on realignment. I mean, Grant and I can talk about realignment till we're blue in the face, but I hate it, and so we like to get other people's perspectives. So um, check this little interview out, and then and then we'll get to our Iowa State preview from the shutdown forecast from channel six from the fantastic book the simple seven or you may know him from writing the best columns in college football he is spencer hall and we are delighted to have him on the show tonight spencer uh welcome and how are you i'm doing better than tcu fans uh you know which is to say i'm slightly better than unstable <laughs> yeah this is uh parker's much older than me so he's been through this before but uh this is my first realignment so tell me spencer what should I be hoping for? What's the best case scenario for TCU? I think the best case scenario is to be a powerful team that can use a weaker Big 12 to aggrandize its record and power. That's really probably where TCU's best cards 
can be found. It all depends on how they want to play them because you're going to look at Texas and Oklahoma simply taking the money and one of them likely becoming a perennial seven and five team, which by that, I mean, Texas. So it's not really not much of a change for them over the past decade. That's, that's pretty standard. It's going to be the Longhorns really took a bigger check for doing less work, which is a very, very Longhorn thing to do, athletically speaking. So I, I applaud them for that. That's the American dream. Good for them. I think what TCU can do in the Big 12 is that they can line up weaker competition with the, in the form of a couple of new members, ride some established football success, and make a case for an for a slot in an expanded playoff. That's where I think TCU can land because that's essentially what TCU was already doing out of the Big 12. And, and frankly, it's not really like the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma. It's not like the Big 12's playoff prospects have changed that much. They really haven't. Uh, there's going to be, as long as you've got teams that are going to pile up, you know, respectable 11 and one ish records, which TCU is more than capable of doing. I think you can get a shot in an expanded playoff that to me and, and providing a, a more established kind of football product for, for TV sales. You know, I'm not saying they're the American conference are probably a little bit better than the American conference in terms of profile. That's what they can do in a big 12. Yeah. And, and I would say Spencer, I'm, I'm a little black pilled uh, to use, to pervert a matrix uh, matrix reference there just to say like TCU got left out of the BCS and or uh, 2011 when they, you know, two losses and, and had some convincing wins 2014 left out of the playoff 2015 left out of the new year six 2017 left out of the new year six for a team that didn't even win uh, their, their, their own conference that had more losses. And, and so it does feel a little bit like TCU's best position is to kind of toe the line between the outsiders that they were in the mountain West and the insiders that they are in kind of a power five conference. Do you think it's more likely that there's a PAC 12 big 12 merger or an kind of an AAC plus big 12 merger? I, I think it looks more like a, a big 12 PAC 12 merger where the teams maintain or the conferences maintain distinct brands, but there is mixed scheduling so that the schedules are robust enough and that, that you can say, one, this is a semi-unified product, that we've created something that would look a lot like the AFC and NFC. That's what they're going to try to sort of, I think, come across as a concept. Say, okay, we'll have this sort of commonality, not necessarily a new conference, but sort of a, an agreement where we'll use the other conference to bolster both the price tag that we're going to charge networks for our football and for our overall strength of schedule and product. That's the idea. And I think that's as far as the resource sharing goes. That's more than enough, I think, for most of the teams involved in this scheme, because that's really all they want. They want to stay in on the money so that they can remain competitive um, with these programs. Mind you, I didn't say beat these programs. I said sort of stay on the bumper of the Big Ten and in particular the SEC, because that's about what you can hope for. I don't think you're looking. You just want to stay in the Peloton to use a cycling metaphor stay in the peloton don't necessarily worry you know worry about winning a stage or two the yellow jersey's not really in your sights not yet at least come home colorado we miss you um spencer i i i get why texas left i i don't like it but i get why they left they can do less work for more money that's great what i don't get and what i have yet to explain to me is why do you think Oklahoma jumped ship? Because it seemed to me they were the king of their own little fiefdom in the Big 12, and they were perfectly capable of making the playoff every year. I don't get that jump outside of the obvious answer of 
they're going to make more money in the SEC. And that's enough. That's really yeah. enough. I mean, oh, uh, like that's the, the, the people making these decisions are not looking at anything but the bottom line. The bottom line as an SEC member, especially if there is going to be a renegotiated TV deal or a new TV deal in the future, when you look at that and the potential earnings, it doesn't compare. Like the only other conference they could join would be the Big Ten, and they don't fit the profile at all geographically or, frankly, academically. You know, Texas, yes. Oklahoma, eh, not as much. Um, and nothing like I was going to say, sorry, Oklahoma, they don't care. They really don't care. They're just that's fine. They're like, yeah, cool. I went to a football school. I did, too. It's awesome. Enjoy it. <laughs> the but but that's money. That's it. And frankly, Oklahoma, though, there is probably another layer. Oklahoma feels like they're very much in range of an SEC team as far as as being competitive, because you know, they have gone toe to toe with SEC teams. Now, as of late, they've lost most of those games, but I still feel like Oklahoma thinks like they're right there. I mean, they do have a long track record of beating up on SEC powerhouses like Tennessee in the late <laughs> fourth quarter. So you got to listen, you got to schedule accordingly. And you got to <laughs> say this, and you got to say this real carefully because I know if an LSU fan's listening to this, they'll be like, what, what's this thing about Oklahoma being competitive? And I'm like, Joe Burrow doesn't count. Joe Burrow does not count. <laughs> Okay, let, let's talk actual football, uh, and, and let's let's stick with the Big 12 here because Lord knows I'm tired of realignment. Um, Spencer, I want to ask about the Big 12. We're about to launch into our Iowa State preview later tonight. What the hell should we make of Iowa State? And, like, do you think that's something – do you think that's a program that can challenge Oklahoma, maybe not beat them, but certainly give them a game like they did last year uh, in the Big 12 title game? No, I mean, I think we've seen that they can outright beat them. That's yeah. that Ogle, that the best team right now in the Big 12 is Iowa State. They've probably been the best team two or three years running mm-hmm. if we're talking about overall team performance. They don't have the best talent. That is what keeps them from being on Oklahoma's level. And that is about all that keeps them from being on Oklahoma's level. Oklahoma continues to get more talent. They are not as well put together as Iowa State. Uh, they're not as consistent as Iowa State, frankly, across the board when it comes to how they play, the style they play, and what they do. So, and that's not it. This is none of this is an indictment of Oklahoma. Oklahoma is freakishly talented and really well coached, but defensively, to me, they don't compare. If you take, if you flip those coaching staffs and those players, Oklahoma would be better if Iowa State's coaches were running them, right? And that's, and I'm saying that by the way, with Lincoln Riley being right there, like offensive yeah. genius. Lincoln Riley. That's how good Iowa State is. And that is what a fantastic job Matt Campbell has done there. That program has a really, because that, pro, that program doesn't, I think, have as many choices no. as TCU does. And that program's fate is very interesting because, if anything, with weaker competition, Matt Campbell, if he didn't really want to move, I can't imagine turning down the kind of life changing money that he could be offered by a school outside of Iowa. For the kind of work he's doing, unless he's found a home in Ames. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Maybe he wants to be the guy who's there 20 years. I think 20 years at Iowa State, that sounds like signing up to be the happiest man in purgatory. Not because Ames sucks, but because it's not like that job is ever going to be anything but hard. That job is going to be hard all day. Say, well, what about Florida State? Go look at the Florida State situation under Bobby Bowden. Bobby Bowden woke up and realized that he was between three or four of the greatest 
recruiting beds in college football, and all he needed to do was get a couple of players from each into Tallahassee. That is not the case in Ames. So um, what I would make of them, I, I would I have them as the favorite to win the conference just because yeah. they've been that consistent. That's 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 to me, I think they could do it, you know? And um, that's that, that's a big ask against Oklahoma, but they're not scared. Yeah, well, and I, and I feel like in the Big 12, the more boring you are, the better, like, the better it is for you. Like, when Kansas State, like, 2014, 2015 was, like, kicking ass, it was like, oh, hey, you're kind of boring, and that that's going to bode well against kind of this crazy high-octane offense. Um, I want to ask about the expanded playoff um, and, and, and kind of Big 12. Why do you think that it is that Big 12, the Big 12 runner-up, for instance, Iowa State wasn't even getting sniffed at for, for that fourth playoff spot last year? Um, do you think that's just, hey, there, there are differences in quality and magnitude? Do you think there's differences in perception for a team like an Iowa State or a Kansas State or a TCU and, and getting in? I think the talent differential is the thing because the team that's getting put in fourth anyways gets smoked. And yeah, that fourth team, yeah. that, third, that third or fourth team is usually pretty good. So if we can get, and I think this is, I can't really speak to the decisions that the committee makes. I think a lot of them are television based, thus Notre Dame continuing to get chances at a playoff slot and getting slaughtered every time they show up. I think Which I support I think, for the record, just so we can watch think, them get yeah. slaughtered. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen that movie. I've seen that movie like two or three times over. It's, it's, you know, and if I stretch that back 20 years, well, man, I have a whole fast and furious series. <laughs> right where another team plays another team plays dom's car and notre dame plays a traffic cone that's what happens every single time they get the invite and and i think that's mostly for tv ratings do i think a big 12 team should get that fourth slot yeah i think a lot of them have deserved it but that's probably also true if you extend it out to other conferences as well. There have probably been a couple of Boise teams that really deserved a shot that didn't get a shot and wouldn't get a shot under the current system. I mean, an expanded playoff is really the only way to do it. And even then, I still believe that the committee's interests are primarily making good television, not necessarily rewarding the absolute best teams. It, there will be an element of subjectivity as long as we're not playing conference champions. And even then when you get conference champions, you're going to look at people who go, well, this team's 11 and one. And you know, one there, they just didn't win their division. You go, well, yeah, right now they're probably the best team in college football and they're not going any further. That's there's no, I'm, I'm big on the, the idea that there are no good endings. There are only less bad endings. And to me, an expanded playoff is a less bad ending where maybe you get more TCUs and Iowa States in the picture. Maybe. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I mean, they obviously use not, they, there's not some, you know, shadowy conglomerate, whatever, but like they used Cincinnati and coastal Carolina being very fun and said, Hey, let's expand the playoff. And I don't know, do you have any doubt in your mind that they're going to put five sec schools in if they can? None, none, right? None. Like that's, uh, that's it, just although, given. It really depends though, because, um, because it really depends who that fourth or fifth sec school is. If there's a school with a better market, if there's a school that's going to get the more eyeballs, sorry, Mississippi State, if you're <laughs> at ten and two, if you're at ten and two, that's going to get dicey for you. That's yeah. really going to get dicey, and you know, it might be tough luck for you because if I get a team that is from TC is a perfect example, right? Or SMU. What if I get what if I get a twelve and zero team from SMU? God forbid. I know. But what if we get a 12-0 and SMU team, right? And they look at that picture and go, 
I can get all the viewers from Starkville or I can get all the viewers from Dallas. Hmm. Hmm. <laughs> and I don't have a cute underdog from that isn't from the SEC or the Big Ten. Hmm. We might look long and hard at that, won't we? That's that's I think you can see that scenario happening. And yeah. that'll get tricky because then you're gonna piss off one of the major power holders in all of college football, one of the major interests, which is the SEC. And, you know, there's gonna be there's gonna be friction no matter how you cut it. Yeah. For sure. Well, let's let's envision a happier scenario in which TCU takes the place of SMU here. But Spencer, I wanted to ask because um, this is gonna sound the most like angry TCU fan think of all time, and I don't mean it to, but it's very rare that we get um, outside perspective on TCU unless they're, you know, Gary Patterson is changing his shirt at halftime or something like that because he's the sweatiest man alive. So Spencer, I wanted to ask kind of what, what's your perception of TCU as a program moving forward long-term, whether that's the last three years of the Patterson era and beyond, because me and Parker both don't want to hire Justin Fuente to be our next head coach. So what's kind of the perception of the program? I mean, the perception of the program is, I think, a pretty commonly understood one that TCU is a consistently excellent football program at scale. So they are a regional chain, but not a national chain. You know, they are. I think Whataburger is a pretty good comparison for what you got, because it doesn't really the magic doesn't really leave Texas. TCU will. There are locations elsewhere. They do go on the road. But on the whole, it's most beloved in its home state which is fine. I think people need to remember that, that one of the great things about this sport is that it is at heart still regional. And if TCU is beloved and successful within the state of Texas, that's a good career. That's a great program. And if, and if from time to time, let's just pull something out of air, you end up in the Rose bowl and do really well there. Hey, that's, that's gravy. That's icing on the cake. That's fantastic. But keep in mind, the scale that TCU is working at, there are limits to it. And I think TCU has to be happy with those limits or spend a bunch of money and maintain an unsustainable level of investment in a sport that's never going to pay back what you put into it. Well, that's what the oil donors are for, I suppose. Irrationally, well, that's, that's it, which is like one thing in my mind is that the big 12 could simply try to take the outside lane and, 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 attempt this the, the southwest conference all over again just rebranded that's the in my mind you just take the programs with some real ambition and cash and see what happens i'm totally fine with that get jerry jones to pay a billion dollars to break arkansas away from the sec or whatever and just let's run this puppy back oh boy yeah that is that is a hard pull that is yeah. a hard pull because <laughs> as bad as as bad as life has been for arkansas and the sec they uh, they still take a lot of beatings to live in the nicest house in town. <laughs> yep. That is, they live in the they live in one of the worst rooms and one of the nicest mansions in town, which is still nicer than most of the rooms in other mansions. Which which is just smart. In the words of Michael Scott, never be the most attractive person in your neighborhood because there's nowhere to go but down. So. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Spencer, we're bumping up against time and, and I uh, want to respect that. Um, my, my favorite question, the thing that I kind of ask everyone is um, I just want to hear not who you think is going to go to the playoff this year, but who is, who are the four most fun, plausible playoff teams? Like, I don't want to hear Clemson, Ohio state, Alabama, Georgia, like who do you think is the most fun, plausible playoff that we could see this fall? 
Oh, plausible. God, I'm just going to pick fun teams. I don't even know if they're plausible. Okay. <laughs> That's I really, <laughs> I really don't. And I just pick teams that I want to watch. I want to watch Old Miss because I love Matt Corral and, and mm-hmm. the pairing of Matt Corral with Lane Kiffin. Matt Corral is just the quarterback living raw out there. Yeah. Living wild, living bad. Throwing, like, if you want like, a quarterback who can throw six touchdowns and six interceptions in one game, that's my guy. 100%. So I would absolutely love to watch them. Indiana, screw it. I want Indiana to be in a playoff scenario, in an expanded playoff scenario, where they can just scare the hell out of everyone. Because like Iowa State, they play real well together. They do. They are just a magnificently uh, welded team of, of people who are not as talented as their competition, but they add up to more than the sum of their parts. So I would love to see that. Um, I would love to see a team like Arizona State that is just like, hey, we're going to play the ugliest football imaginable. and We're going to like it'll be a 13-10 game because, frankly, that is kind of not only an anomaly, but an outright curiosity in this day and age to see schools that are going to play down to the bare minimum of possible plays down for it yeah yeah uh love love that so much um awesome well spencer thanks so much for your time man obviously you can go follow spencer on twitter at edsbs i think i did that right um and all all other place but um yeah man uh thanks so much we we appreciate it and uh have fun this football season and i hope that i am drinking three beers and watching indiana and arizona state playing in the playoffs this december Uh, you and me both brother thanks y'all Let's turn our attention to the task at hand, Grant. Let's talk about the 2021 Iowa State Cyclones, kind of the darling of the the media um, this last year. People don't like to talk about the fact they lost to Louisiana, uh, a Sunbelt team, to start the season, but they do like to talk about the fact that they beat Oklahoma because of a couple third down drops. And um, yeah, so they're they're an interesting team. They They were clearly the second best team in the Big 12 last year for whatever that's worth. Um, Grant, what, what are our thoughts on Iowa State? How are we kind of framing our discussion this evening? Well, I don't think there's any way to frame the discussion about Iowa State without mentioning the talent that they return. Right? And, and this gives the Cyclones two big advantages. One, I'm going to get a burden seal alert on my phone. Huh, that's a Corpus Christi. Uh, the Cyclones have arguably one of the best coaching staffs in the country, right? Matt Campbell, I mean, we're not going to sit here and, you know, sing his praises, but the man's a really, really good coach. Uh, and he's got good assistance on his staff as well. The other advantage is that Iowa State returns everybody. Like, they have an incredible amount of returning talent on the roster. I think you and I both did our research and found they may have lost three total starters from last year, a wide receiver, uh, a safety, and, 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 and Jaquan Bailey at edge rusher, who was a big loss. But um, – the thing about what the Cyclones do is that they, they, they preach and they build and they emulate consistency, right? And, and whether they have a good game, a bad game, it's always going to be kind of, hey, pretty steady Eddie. I mean, you look at the outliers from last season. They beat Kansas State 45 to nothing or 40. Yeah, 45 to nothing, which is extremely impressive. And they beat West Virginia 42 to six. The rest of the games were kind of middle of the pack, pretty, I hate to use the word boring because that sounds insulting, but 
the average game score was 32.9 to 21.4. I mean, that is basically in like a high powered NFL offense uh, score. You're not going to get a whole lot of variance, but when you have a team that is as uh, experienced and with, with no small amount of talent for sure, though they don't have the, you know, the, the four stars and the five stars on the roster, all of that experience in a system that preaches consistency and preaches, Hey, like we're going to play with our principles is incredibly deadly. I, it, it's hard for me really to pick something out when talking about Iowa state to frame the season and our perspective and our expectations for them, because they're just going to kind of keep doing what they've always done and, and do it pretty well with players that know how to do. It. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and in a way, the more boring you are in the big 12, the more, upside you have i do think it's an interesting conversation grant philosophically um because i mean i should have looked up the exact number on this but returning production is at an all-time high across the board um i think like the median returning starters this year is 16 or 17 Hmm. uh, across fbs um and and so returning production in any other year I would be like, Iowa State's winning the national title. Holy cow. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's been such a weird year and everyone got extra eligibility, I'm kind of less optimistic about Iowa State fielding a team of 36-year-olds um, who have all played four years than I, than I would be in, a, in, in other years. Um, just because, again, if you return 99% of production and all your opponents return 92% of production, I don't know that yeah. that necessarily matters. Um, See, I- I mean, in the, in the Big 12, what, nine quarterbacks returning? Eight quarterbacks returning? Seven. I think uh, seven. Sorry. Yeah, seven. I, I get what you mean, and we have this conversation a lot, and, and our listeners by now know what I'm about to say, but experience only matters if experience is good. The thing about Iowa State is that the experience is good. I, I mean, their, their line was pretty decent last year. You can argue about Brees Hall, whatever, fine. Uh, obviously, return Purdy. Uh, return their top wide receiver, although you and I differ on whether or not Xavier Hutchinson is, is, you know, something to celebrate returning. And the defense was solid. I, I, I think this is the experience that you can say, hey, it is a good thing that these guys are back. Uh, I, I also think, Parker, that we, we have the rare, uh, you know, one of us likes to take, hey, I'm pro this team. One likes to think I'm con this team. I think we've both switched, or at least I've switched since we started researching, because I, I'm more in on Iowa State right now than I've ever been. Yeah, I, I think the trend so far has been that I have, I've kind of talked myself into teams. And with Iowa State, again, maybe because they're good, I've kind of talked myself out. I feel like with Oklahoma State, I talked myself out a little bit too, um, saying, you know, Brennan Presley and nobody else. Um, yeah, I, th- I think the thing about Iowa State for me is that they were – they're super experienced on the offensive line. They were super healthy on the offensive line last year, and that seems kind of unsustainable. Um, and also they were what – Oh, four and two and one score games. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's only one above 500. Um, yeah, but still, I mean, four one score wins is like, I'm not, I'm not ready to crown them the most dominant big 12. Yeah. You know, like Kirk Bowles the other day tweeted, you know, the final straw for Texas was being clearly surpassed by Iowa state as the number two team in the big 12. And I was like, okay, dude, we've all been like, yeah, everyone's been the number two team in the Big Twelve. That's not like, Kansas was the number one team in the Big Twelve one year. Like, that's like that's, not a, that's like I'm the most attractive thirty year old male in my apartment right now. Like, come on, dude. Um, and there, do you remember Rick Riley when he was in his heyday? I do. I do remember Rick Riley. 
he used to turn out great articles and then something happened. But the, the one I always remember is that you were you were the best ballet dancer at a at a sumo wrestling camp. The, the one I hear is um, the best gas station sushi in Alabama. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I so eat, to be clear. That's not to... Can I just get this out of the way? Can I just get, get this off my chest? Iowa State fans have been more annoying than Baylor fans this last year. You Well, no, that's your fault. No, fake news. It is. No, it is. I am responding to the constant barrage of just crap. It's... Here's the thing. It, it's so amazing to me to see a fan base be like, we're the team of destiny. And anyone that doesn't say something that's a hundred percent positive about us is a hater and a troll. Like legitimately the other day, Grant, and this is months removed from in season where I say things that are completely true. Like if Iowa state had to face Max Duggan for four quarters, they would have not won that game. That, uh, that, that was actually, I'm just going to interject here. When you mentioned the one score losses, they beat TCU by one score when Michael Collins played. Uh, no, I wish my, if Michael Collins played. Oh, not Michael Collins. If Gosh. Michael Collins played against Iowa State, that would have been like. I don't, I don't, I don't want to disrespect the man. I apologize. Uh, downing, Matt Downing played. Yeah, uh, he, he did admirably and was put in a bad spot. He whatever. did fine. So this isn't even that. This is like, I tweeted my 2021 power rankings and I put Iowa State at the top of the middle class of the Big 12 because the Big 12, since Lincoln Riley has taken over, has been Oklahoma and then a bunch of teams trying to be second. You had them second. I had them second. And a freaking Iowa State fan is like, oh, I don't know if this is your normal brand of trolling. It's, it's, it's exhausting. Honestly, I would rather you tweet Bible verses and make jokes about my penis size, which is what Baylor fans do. Like, it is so annoying. Okay, putting that in a box, right? <laughs> Parker's frustrated with maybe 19 people on Twitter who are just absolute morons and I, I should ignore them. Putting that in a box, let's talk about Iowa State. 19, that's that's two more than the margin of victory that Louisiana had over Iowa State last year. Dude, roll, roll Cajuns. Um, I think that Iowa State was in a really unique position because the Big 12 has been a constant cycle of who's at the top of their development, who's, who's in their mm-hmm. best case scenario. And Iowa State, through extended eligibility, it's another year of Purdy. Um, and so that, that it, it's not like breaking the rules, not like cheating, but it is a little bit like, oh yeah, this is, this is working out super well for Matt Campbell because they were going to have to start somebody this year and it wasn't going to be Brock Purdy and they're, and they're able to do that. Um, I mean, Purdy played himself out of a draft draft spot last year too. He did. I, I, I'm sorry. I keep interrupting you and I don't mean to, I apologize, but uh, you're right. Like, yeah, this is all like, hey, you know, the stars are aligning, you know, things are working out right for Iowa State. But at the same time, it is working. You know, and they should take advantage of it. Like, that's that's all I'm saying is, yeah, we are in this weird year where Iowa State has intention to win nine more than nine games in a season, which I don't think they've ever done. No, and, and some of that is like a little unfair because – they didn't play enough games like, like the pace that they were at last year, but also sure, I don't care if you would be an FCS team. I don't think they'd be in Iowa in freaking forever. No. Um, Which, yeah. I'm going to look that up. El Asico as it's known. I don't necessarily know. Yeah. That's a chaotic game, man. Yeah. Uh, let me, let me do some first principles. Cause I, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll forget about this and then we can kind of dive into it. So Iowa state last year, 18th in EPA per par- EPA margin um, overall. Um, actually a little bit, you know, Matt Campbell's renowned for his defense, but actually a little bit more 
um, offensive last year, 0.181 EPA per play on offense, which was 19th overall. And they allowed 0.017 EPA on defense, which was 34th. Um, much better at the rush, 0 0.9, 0.093 uh, rushing EPA on offense, which it's hard to generate consistent positive value in the rush game. And, and they, they, you know, we'll talk about their explosive rushing attack. And then uh, in the past they were, they were 41st. Some of that is just some um, head scratchers by Brock Purdy. I think I could sit down and make a list of like 10 plays that if we had cut them out, they probably would have been a top 35 passing offense. Um, and there were just some that just didn't make a lot of sense. Um, TCU fans will fondly remember LaKendrick Van Zant looking around mm -hmm. and being like, did you actually throw the ball to me? Okay, great. I'm going to go to the end. Zone. Like, yeah. I promise. I think that play lasted like 45 seconds because LaKendrick Van Zant just stood there for a second. I was like, are you sure this is happening? <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, uh, def definitely better at the, the rush, but serviceable at the pass and have some interesting options, which last year we were uncertain about kind of what their outside options were going to be. Um, the things that they really excel that grant, you know, uh, they had, they had a good early downs EPA. Um, they, they, they were kind of generating value early on, but they converted third downs 47.8% of uh, third down conversions in non-garbage time. And so they were kind of setting up these long sustainable drives, which is really nice because then that gives you opportunity for your, your breakaway backs, Kanae Nwagmu and Brees Hall to, you know, make these big runs because you get more opportunity. Um, the, you know, the, the, the Iowa state fans will tell you, Hey, our special teams is really what killed us. I think that the Louisiana game where they allowed a punt return and a kickoff return and lost kind of has colored their perception. You know, they were 30th overall in average field position on offense, 36 in average field position on defense. Special teams is a little bit baked into that, but I don't think it was like, oh, this Iowa State team was impeccable except for their special teams. Um, it was it was like, eh, they were, they were fine. Just when they failed at special teams, it was – it was in, in, in pretty bad moments. I think they allowed 28 points off of special teams plays in, in 2020, which is not great. I wouldn't want it. No, it's, it's not great, but it's not like it completely killed our season. I mean, again, Louisiana was kind of just, hey, it's the first game of the year against a G5 team. We lost by 14 points and gave up two touchdowns on special teams. That'll cloud the vision. I mean, Listen, there's a reason we all thought Kevontae Turpin was really, really good, and it's because he was a good punt returner, and he had one cool catch as a wide receiver. Um, he did. He did. Big indeed. plays um, can uh, – on special teams can cloud vision. Um, Parker, do, what other first principles do we need to talk about, or do you want to talk about Brock Purdy? Well, I think we should go to the offense there. So, cause I, I kind of didn't, I'll get, I'll get the defensive stats there. Okay, um, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. That was, that was me pod. just kind of wandering, just meandering through those, those stats. So um, yeah, let's, let's talk about Brock Purdy. So Brock Purdy last year, two, six, two EPA per play, not, not excellent, but, but pretty consistent value on passes. Um, they have a really high success rate on passes. Uh, that's a little bit inflated. Um but, you know, he, he completed 69% of targeted attempts, only nice. a 40% of only 40% of those turned into first downs. And so that is a little bit. That's, his that's, average, his average death of target was 8.9 yards and, and his and, yards per attempt were 7.5. Like he's yeah. not throwing the ball down the field. No. And, and so that's, that's fine. They were not generating a lot of value 
out of kind of these downfield passes, which is a concern I have for 2021. Um, the thing I think is really interesting, negative 22.4 sack EPA for Brock mm-hmm. Purdy, uh, over three touchdowns across the season uh, of sacks that he took. And he doesn't really scramble well at all. Only 6% of his, his plays resulted in his scrambles. And, you know, a couple third down conversions kind of drives that EPA up. But so uh, I think Brock Purdy, no, I don't think Brock Purdy. Brock Purdy had a bad, bad year last year. He just didn't. He objectively did. And I think I was kind of rooting for him going into 2021, but you just, or 2020, but you just watched him and you're like, man, what is happening here? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. He, he didn't because as a sophomore or whatever classification he was two years ago when Brock Purdy was playing, I was like, damn, Iowa State's got themselves a quarterback. And last year it was Iowa State has everything else and Brock Purdy. So they should be great. And they were better than average, but it was not what we expected out of him, especially like you said, I mean, he had the same team last year as he will this year, essentially with players that are good and if not great and solid. Uh, but man, you said it earlier. He played himself pretty much out of a draft position, and I was to come back to to kind of do it again. I mean, he's, he's damn near my age. I'm pretty sure. Uh, and yeah, you know, well, I, I, of course, I, I, have the... my, I have my three years on the bench, you know, for for the University of Miami. But uh, I, I couldn't go out there and play now. I think NCAA Clearinghouse, you you still can start your eligibility clock before you're 30. So, mm-hmm. um, I, yeah, I, I think to give him kind of the Jared Daigie treatment, I mean, he was under pressure 34.4% of dropbacks, which I don't think the perception of Iowa State's offensive line is that they were allowing a third of a, uh, like a third of his passing attempts to be under pressure, but he was sneakily pressured a lot more than he thought. And, and that goes to, you know, so part of me wants to cite the, the a dot, the average depth of target and say like on not, uh, when, you know, clean pockets, he was 7.5 a dot down the field and on under pressure, he was 13.0. Well, like obviously longer plays take longer to develop. And so that those differences, but it still does kind of speak to like, Hey, you're going to have more. Um, you you got to have a downfield passing attack. You have to, if you're going to play off this year, Iowa state, you got to have a downfield passing attack. And, and they just really kind of struggled to do that last year. Um, and because Brock Purdy was pressured so much, they couldn't really, ex- you know, on long dropbacks, they didn't give him much time to throw. Um, and so 34%, 34% of dropbacks, he was pressured. His completion percent, uh, let's do accuracy. His, his adjusted completion percent, his accuracy was 80.9 when he was kept clean, right? That's great. Mm-hmm. He's making short, efficient throws. They don't have a, a, a good downfield threat. Um, a lot of those are, you know, RPOs and that's, that's great. Um, 55.6 adjusted accuracy, uh, under pressure. And so kind of a big difference there. And so that might lead you to think, okay, maybe if they can improve on the offensive line, which again, people say the offensive line was good, but he was pressured on 141 of his dropbacks last year. Maybe he'll be able to kind of develop some of those concepts more. Um, what I think is interesting is there's not actually a huge difference between play action and no play action for Brock Purdy. Um, 62.1% completion, 69.9% completion on, on no play action. Um, and, and for adjusted, you know, adjusted completion percentage, that's 71 and, and 76. Those, those are effectively the same. We account for like group sizes and everything. And so it wasn't like, oh, we need Brock Purdy in play action to make plays. It was just 
hey, if Brock Purdy's trying to go down the field, his receivers aren't that good. They're not creating separation. And the offensive line, while being consistent and healthy and really good run blockers, isn't necessarily giving you enough time to, to kind of let those downfield routes develop. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And I think, too, uh, I'm, I'm not trying to get into receiver talk here, but you, if you mentioned, okay, we could talk about average set the target, whatever. But if you look at the top six receivers from – top six pass catchers on Iowa State last year uh, in terms of uh, targets, the number one average depth of target was Charlie Kovalar, who's a tight end, who's not there anymore, who was 12.2 uh, average depth of target. Xavier Hutchinson was 10.2. Uh, Landon Akers was 10 on the dot and no one else is below 10 yards down the field. That's kind of stunning, especially for a team in the big 12. And they just did not have a deep threat at all. Yeah. It's, it's not great when your wide receiver is kind of your, um, your, your deep threat uh, overall. I, w- I will say, can I, I, I don't want to correct you. Charlie Kolar came back. He elected to not go into the draft. Did he? Oh, dang, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. so sorry. I don't know how um, I missed. I even have that on my notes. Oh, I, you know what? Landon Akers left, which is not the same thing as Charlie Kolar leaving. Uh, I have, Grant McGallard uh, regrets the error. I apologize. We're, uh, we're, we're conducting an investigation. We're looking into it. Did you know there's a town called Nevada, Iowa? Sorry, I'm on the roster right now. Um, Iowa is a no place that consists of just cross sections (laughs) of the rest of America. You could tell me anything about Iowa and I would believe it. I have a very good friend from Iowa. Yeah, Uh, no, I love Iowa. Did a weekend in, in Martinsdale. Okay. Which is just South of Des Moines. We hung out in Des Moines, went to a really nice restaurant. I can't remember if the rehearsal dinner went to this little fireman brewery in, in Ankeny, Ankeny, Ankeny. Sure. Very fond memories of Iowa. Very, like Field of Dreams, one of my favorite movies. Very high opinion of Iowa and the people of Iowa generally. I can also say like Iowa except for the is, ones that are you, you have high opinions of, except for the ones that are chirping you on Twitter. No, the, 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 I do not let those people color my perception of Iowans generally. I've I've had nothing but good good interactions with you know good hearty Iowans of America. So that's good to know. Uh, that was kind of no true Scotsman, but no true yes. Iowan. <laughs> Shout out! Shout out, Muscatine, Iowa. If you've friend. been a if you've been a jerk to me, you're not actually an Iowan. That's the right. That's the <laughs> exactly. Um, where were we? Oh yes, Brock Purdy. Uh, not from Iowa. Yeah, he. I mean, he. No one has to improve, but you would expect Brock Purdy to play closer to his talent level and what he showed two years ago this year than you would to, for him to play how he did last year. Right? I didn't phrase that well, but you know what I mean. Do you know what I mean? I don't know if that made any sense. Yeah. I don't think Brock Purdy is going to come out and be like the most accurate downfield passer of all time. I think Brock Purdy as a game manager fits very well for Iowa state's kind of NFL offense. Mm-hmm. And that's that, you know, it's good. It's not really an NFL offense. Everyone calls it an NFL offense, but if it was an NFL offense, it would rely on your quarterback being accurate. And, and in reality, it's, it's reliant on, you know, creating space in the run game and then, and then being able to just move the ball enough when you need to using a tight end. So um, I think they're calling it, I think they're calling it an NFL offense because they, you know, we use 21 personnel or whatever and put a couple tight ends out there, but, um, or 12 personnel, sorry. Yeah. So, so, so Brock Purdy is not bad. Don't, don't hear us saying that he's bad. Um, I, I think that, you know, if you're talking about the second best quarterback in the big 12, 
you're you're gonna you you're gonna rely on some normative commitments to distinguish between Purdy, Duggan, and Sanders. Yeah. They're all yeah. in the they're all in the same tier. Yeah. And Brock Purdy is old. That's and I all think I'll say. He has, I think he's the lowest ceiling of either of yes. any one of them. Yes. And so yeah. that that to me is disconcerting. Just it's like, man, I don't know how much more development we're getting out of Brock Purdy. Yeah, I don't either. Um, I, I just, I, I will think he'll play better than he did last year. I, I, I just, it, it, we have seen teams have success with game managers before, uh, but that was a decade ago. I mean, you know, Notre Dame used to have a series of game managing quarterbacks. Michigan tries to have a game managing quarterback outside of Bernard Robinson every year. Bama tried it and realized, hey, maybe we need to have someone that can throw the ball and move a little bit. Um, I think kind of the era of the game manager in college football is going away unless you're Wisconsin and you're like, Hey, you know what? We're just going to try to run the ball down your throat. Um, Iowa state's not that team. They're trying to kind of play the middle ground. Purdy needs to play at his ceiling to have them succeed. I, I, I guess I'm high on him because I do think that ceiling exists and I'll, I think he'll play closer to it this year than he will last year. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I mean, 60, 68, no 58, excuse me. My math is really bad. Yeah, 58% of Purdy's passes were shorter than 10 yards, either behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah. Deep balls, adjusted completion percentage. You only had one drop. 34.8% accuracy on, on 46 deep balls. It's not good. That is bad. I'm going to say that, that, that that's bad. Does that mean that Brock Purdy can't throw the deep ball? No. No, but it means last year, dude, what are you doing? So I'm pulling up 2019 right now. Um, oh my God. Who's Blake Clark. There we go. Who is Blake Clark? Never heard that name before. 47.2 last year or in 2019, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then 2018, he didn't have a ton, but we'll look at it all the same. 61.5 20. So he's gotten worse at the deep ball every year. Yeah, which which to me means he's either sense. forcing, they're asking him to do too much, because because again I could write off like okay twenty twenty they didn't get to practice a ton downfield they didn't really have a good but he had like a Hakeem Butler and stuff earlier on no, in his career I know, I know I know and so now without a deep threat wide receiver it's like oh if Purdy can't get a guy who can create space he can't make a throw yeah I agree and, and so okay you start wondering all right is it Purdy or his receivers I. You know, looking at Iowa State's wide receivers, I guess we could, I mean, we'll skip over Brees Hall for the moment. They're all fine, but he doesn't have a standout target. Xavier Hutchinson uh, was his, uh, you know, his, his leading receiver last year, 93 targets, 64 receptions, uh, 12 yards per catch. Fine. He also had four drops, right? Kolar is great at tight end. Um, I don't even know there's not Parker. Kolar is actually returning this year. Um, he elected to come back. Oh, that's good. That's, yeah, 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 that's super cool. He also played in the slot a lot. Um, and kind of, they, they would split about wide. Eh, I, don't, I don't trust PFF. Okay. Okay. Whatever. That, right. That's that's okay. like that. That's not the slot. That's like they ran a little bunch for Nate formation with like Sonner as the true tight end and then Kolar on the line. So it's like right. podcaster visual medium. Remember that. But imagine a center, a right guard, a left guard a sniffer a la like Carter Ware kind of in the backfield that's Dylan Sonner. And then Charlie Kolar is on the line, like two yards from the, the tight end or two yards from the tackle. Mm-hmm. They're calling that a, they're probably calling that a slot 
he's Fair lining enough. up at tight end. That's not, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Fair enough. But I'll, I'll tell you this too. He's, uh, Purdy is not getting any help from his receivers after the catch. I mean, Hutchinson was 5.8 yards after catch. Kolar, 3.2. Sean Shaw, 3.4. Chase Allen, 4.6. That's yeah, but, good. but Landon Akers, 11.8, man. Let me tell you, yeah, on, Landon on, Akers on is 100% yeah. the broken play against TCU where he had like a 60-yard yeah. gain where it was just uh-huh. like, oh, no one covered you. Okay, run, man. Yeah. That's oh, great. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, literally no one saw I can't remember. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think he scored on that play, but a good wide receiver would have. Yes, exactly. So they're, just, they're not getting separation. Don't, don't, let me get, don't let me get Socratic here. Um, but, I, I, but so... You, separation separation is one right is one thing what does a low yards after catch across an entire team tell you one maybe maybe their unit is thin and they're not getting separation what else might it tell you uh purdy is not throwing the ball in a way to where they can catch and run not hitting them in stride maybe under throwing maybe overthrowing. maybe they're having to make drastic catches maybe he's just getting the ball a little bit behind him and pfs still calling it is accurate i don't I don't know. I'm not ready to apply that like level of scrutiny to him, but I will say in that offense where you're motioning a lot up front, you're running a lot of like kind of power counter moves around on the offensive line and then still passing the ball. You would expect to have a wide receiver in space running. Think about the Steve Sarkeesian thing. We talked about the other day where he was like, you know, the other week where it was like Jalen Waddle is as fast as I am standing still. Mm-hmm. I, I think that their 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 downfield passing game is really relegated to we just got to get the ball to somebody to get some yards. There's not a lot of explosive upside. I mean, EPA per pass, 0.318, 41st. Given the rest of their profile, that's actually pretty mediocre. Like, yeah, and I wonder too, and and I this is gonna sound bad. I guess I don't have the splits to back this up, but but I am. There is something to be said, although it's probably caveman and reductive, for building an offense that isn't reliant on explosive plays. Now, obviously, you need explosive plays, but Iowa State has proven, and they proved last year, that we talked about how boring they are. We talked about how their games aren't very exciting, as my dog planks a bone against the chair. Um, Stop it. But there's something to be said for that. I I mean, it, it, it works. You know, I, it, they don't have it, it a lot does. of explosive plays, but, but I mean, golly, they're winning games. I mean, they, they do though. They do have a lot of explosive plays. So for instance, Brees Hall had, oh my gosh, how many runs? Explosive, explosive plays in the passing game, I will say. Oh, in the passing game. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think explosive games in the rushing game are a lot more um, based on opportunity. In the passing game, they're based on scheme for sure. And so that tells me they're running like, you know, a lot of ins, a lot of digs, a lot of, yeah. So, so there's not a lot more upside if they don't change what they're doing in the passing game to kind of create these, exp- maybe, maybe that's what Campbell wants. Maybe that's what Tom Manning wants is, Hey, we're just going to, you know, seven to eight yard routes. We're going to decrease our variance in passing games. There's an argument that that worked last year and that's where you should go. Um, it, it's almost kind of like an air raid philosophy of just like get, get the it ball is. out and get it to a guy. Yeah. Uh, but they, you know, they're not, they're not passing uh, a ton. They're rushing 54.1% of early downs, um, which is pretty high. Uh, I think yeah. that's third or third or fourth in the big 12. I tweeted that the other day. I should, I should go look that up. And, and so they're, they're, they're definitely more reliant on the rush, which to me is, is, is scary. Um, so I think, I think we should talk about their offensive line and then they're kind of, yeah. 
not their kind of, and then their running backs, because again, I don't, it's not that the running backs don't matter. It's that let's get the running backs out of the way because everyone knows where we stand on them or where you stand on them just because, you know, Reese Hall is good. Um, He's a good running back. He takes advantage of, of situations. There's something to be said for that because there are a lot of running backs that don't. Uh, Kenan Iwagwu, also good. Yeah. Uh, or at least also takes advantage of situations, and the offensive line is a good run-blocking line, so they open it up for him. That's it. That's I mean, that's what it is. They they do their jobs well. They're not the best running backs in the in the country. They're good, and they're good enough. I think they're better than good enough, even. Like, I think they're very good, but I, I think this just nonsense about, like, Brees Hall being – the best running back in the Big 12 is I so do do a thought a bit thought experiment about me. Okay. Take Iowa State last year. Again, we're okay. constructing hypothetical counterfactuals. So whatever you want to believe is fine. Put Bijan Robinson in Brees Hall's place. Mm-hmm. Put Zach Evans in Brees Hall's place. Mm-hmm. Put Sir Roderick Thompson in Brees Hall's place. Put Deuce Vaughn in Brees Hall's place. Is there offense? Better or worse? I would take uh, I would take Brees Hall over Sir Roderick. Besides that, I think they're better. Yeah, and maybe even Deuce Vaughn. Deuce Vaughn's not really a running back. The scheme would have to change so much. He's he's your, a jack of all trades, but yeah, your offense isn't worse with any of those guys. No, for sure. Right, and so that's the biggest thing about Brees Hall is like their offense is fine. But so here's my case against Brees Hall. Brees Hall first in attempts by 82 attempts, right in the Big Twelve. First in total yards by over 500 yards. First in touchdowns by 12. Grant, he had 21. The next closest had nine. Yeah. He's, he's first in total yards after contact by over 350 yards. He's first in total big runs by eight. He's first in breakaway runs, which is, you know, a bigger big run by nine. And he's first in first downs by 30. So, like, I think that's where people get sucked in as they think, like, oh, my gosh, his totals are so much better than everyone else. He's an outlier. But – Yards per attempt, he is sixth at 5.6. And so I think the argument against that is like, well, they used him in all these situations. You're like, yes, they drove up his total yards and his total first downs by using him on third and short a ton, which third and short is all about your offensive line. Yeah. Like 80, no, can, 85%. Can your guys beat their guys. Yeah. Can you get a push? And then can you run away and get through the hole? Most guys can get through the hole. He, he scored 6% of his runs were touchdowns, right? which is very high, right? He had 21 touchdowns. But if you contextualize that, um, Letty Brown at West Virginia, 4.5%. Sir Roderick Thompson, 7.3% of his runs were, were touchdowns. Ramondre Stevenson, 7% of his runs were touchdowns. Deuce Vaughn, 5.8% of his rushes were touchdowns. Kenne Nwagnu had four touchdowns, but he had the exact same uh, so, so for Kenny Nwagnu, that's like 5.8% of his rushes were touchdowns. So Brees Hall and Kenny Nwagnu are, are, are super similar, right? Um, he had the exact same yards after carry and yard, or yards after contact and yards before contact as Kenny Nwagnu and the exact same TD rate. They're both at, they're both at like 5.65, 5, uh, or, or, or 6.6%, sorry. Um, Kenny Nwagnu had a 49% breakaway rate. Brees Hall had a 46.4% breakaway rate. And so, of course, there's differences in usage and like the durability is an asset, right? But yeah. your backup running back had identical stats as you. Yeah. I, so. Identical. But No, I know. So put it this way. It, 
if you want a fantasy football running back, Brees Hall's your guy. Well, I would say how many times is someone, I, I should have looked this up. How many times has somebody led? Okay. We could go this. Who is, who is the best running back in the big 12 in 2019? Just two years ago. Shit. Um, Oh, this has got to be somebody I'm forgetting. It's Chuba Hubbard, right? Oh, yeah, Chuba. What happened to Chuba Hubbard last year? Uh, he didn't do his hot. And then he got hurt. He was worse, yeah. and then he got hurt. I'm not saying Brees Hall is going to get hurt. Maybe he's a freak who has durability as an asset that no one else has. And then once that's proven, we can talk about that. But Brees Hall took on, what, 82 more carries than the next closest guy? It's a shortened season. They still played 12 games durability for running backs is very fickle. And so if you're, if you're priding yourself on Brees Hall's durability being the reason that he's the best running back. Yeah. I don't, I don't know that that works, especially because again, his backup had identical stats. Like, yeah. So let's talk about the guys that can start. And I don't mean to push off this, but, but no. part of that goes in the offensive line. Right? Absolutely. And they're an incredible run. They're an incredibly talented run blocking offensive line. Yeah. But, uh, and, and they return, and I want to I want to stress this enough because it is incredible. They return all five starters. They return six starters basically because uh, Jake Rainsberg and Joey Ramos split time attack. I think there's seven. I think there's seven deep of guys who have played significant minutes. Before, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, so that's an asset. Um, like you said, I, they're not the best offensive line. They're a good offensive line. They're an experienced offensive line. They're big as hell too. There's um, they got a, a six eight guy on there. I can't remember which one six eight, but. Uh, they, they do their job. They, they get uh, Brees Hall, you know, yards of space to run into. That's an asset, man. I, I mean, now, pass block yeah. is a different story, but, but they're the key to that run game. Absolutely. On the run game, the offensive line does a great job, and I think that kind of goes back into the Brees, Brees Hall thing. Yeah, so I have them as the third most experienced offensive line. And the, the Big 12 of the country. Who's the big more 12? experienced? Who's more experienced? In the Big 12? Um, okay. So, Iowa State is 1.18 uh oklahoma is 1.19 oklahoma state is one point uh 1.188 so it was a little higher oklahoma state is that that's a little bit misleading because and and texas tech is 1.4 so so both of those are a little misleading because like oklahoma state had danny godslevsky and texas tech has tj storm and so like there's a little bit balanced but like they're 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 not the most talented offensive line but they are the most consistently experienced again uh i looked at this the other day it was like everybody in the big 12 except iowa state had you know like seven or eight guys start games at offensive line and so again in a vacuum i'm like yeah dude they have a great they have a great strength and training program matt campbell's all about development they're kind of building up these guys but you start to add on like Brees Hall had the most carries of any running back last year the offensive line had the least health issues of anybody last year. Um, even accounting for, I think Foster was out the whole year. Was that, was that Foster? Maybe you had that wrong. Uh, I think so. Yes. Um, and so you, you just start stacking all these things on top of each other. And you're like, man, it, it was a little bit of the edge of the knife last year, which if Campbell winds up in Arlington again this year, you're like, dang. I mean, I, I respect the hell out of him right now, but Holy cow, that's going to be a miracle just because it felt like everything broke right for Iowa state last year. And if it breaks right again this year, I'm, I'm, I'm not ready to call that a coincidence. Like, I'm going to say, yep, this is, this is Matt Campbell. Yeah, who's a very good coach. Yeah, I, absolutely. I just, yeah, I know. I, I, I mean, we're kind of talking ourselves in circles here. I, I, 
I just think the, the potential for this Iowa State offense is that they're so consistent that their floor is so high. Now, I don't know what the ceiling is. I really don't. But I know that they're, I, I, I don't see them being worse than they were last year. And they were pretty decent last year. I see. I think that they will be the same or worse last than last year just because there's more tape on Campbell. Campbell, not, not, not Cam, I mean, Lanning's, you're Manning, sorry, is calling the offense. Like, they're a rush heavy team and they were the number two last year. I think a lot of people are going to focus on them. And they didn't really, I mean, like, they blew out Kansas State, but Kansas State. I mean, Kansas State yeah. was starting, what's yeah. his name? I can't even remember his name. Will Howard. Well, uh, no. Yeah. yeah. Well, Howard, maybe. Yeah, Will Howard. Yeah, yeah. So other than that, every game was more or less competitive, you know, Kansas aside. And and so it'll be interesting to see. They, they we'll, we'll talk about the schedule here at the end. Um, I think the defense will be very good again. I do too. But I don't I mean, know that it's – as good as the reputation is. So 34th overall in EPA defense, 16th against the rush, negative 0.151, 51st against the pass, 0.134. Grant, the stat that sticks out to me is kind of this dichotomy here, right? First downs, on on first and second downs, they allowed 27.4% first down rate, right? So one in four first and second downs, they're, they're, they're allowing the series to extend. That was 71st in the nation. But the average third down distance they faced was 7.98 yards. That's ninth longest in the nation, right, for defense. Yeah. yeah, and so it's like, man, if you can move the ball on early downs and stay away from that, because third down, they are lights out 17th overall in third down conversion percentage uh, allowed on defense. If you can if you can avoid third downs against the man, you can move the ball pretty consistently, which is, which is worrisome. Yeah, I will say that they do have a couple stars coming back, which, which always helps. Mike Rose at linebacker and Orion Vance at, at linebacker both. Ioma um, uh, Uazaruke is not Taquan Bailey, but he's still a very good edge rusher. Um, they return both their starting corners. They, they run uh, they run a defense uh, – they run the 3 3 correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and so they have two of the three starting safeties back, uh, starting corners back, starting linebackers. I mean, they just – they, were, they return a ton of talent. And, and I mean talent the way it's meant, talent, because Mike yeah. Rose and Orion Vance are both very good, as is Owasaruki. Um, and, and, uh, and on offense or on defense, excuse me, talent, raw talent means a lot more. Um, Will McDonald, edge rusher, who was just absolutely disruptive. Um, Will McDonald almost killed Matt Downing a couple times yeah, uh, last year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, I, this is caveman, but they, the most points they allowed last year in the game. Do you know who it was, it was against? No, without looking, no. TCU? Yep, 34. I mean, they held Oklahoma to 30 and 27 points. That's Interesting. Something. That's something. Yeah, and Oklahoma had Oklahoma had 13 drives, and TCU had 13 drives. So, technically, yeah. TCU scored more. To be fair, that was before teams realized that you could just rush three and drop eight and kill TCU because they couldn't block. So To be fair, Matthew Downing played most of that game, but yes. Um yeah. Anyway, it's it just I think the defense is extremely good. That that I'm, I'm more confident in that unit than I am about anything on the offense for Iowa State. Yeah. So like I think I think I can say like okay, special teams is kind of crazy and it'll iron out. It's fine. The hey, offense. Spe- can I give you a special oh, teams fact real quick? I love a good special teams fact. 
their place kicker went to the same high school and played on the same team as Max Duggan. Interesting. Maybe that's how they knew LTC's place. Um, yes. That was so dumb. Well, I, I said place kicker. I meant kickoff specialist because Connor Ass Alley is back uh, as place kicker, but Drake Nettles, their kickoff specialist. So ah. lots, uh, Lewis Central's there. Well, what do you what do you know? Why well, small? And they have an Australian boy. punter. Um, but yes, sorry to interrupt you. I apologize. Go ahead. No, that's totally fine. I mean, I I can just say like this defense like. It's it's very good. Um, what I what I notice is like their their tackle share is pretty distributed. Mike Rose had the most, but it was under twenty percent. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, kind of kind of concentrated in like Mike Rose had the most third down stops, and he's in the secondary, and so that that's kind of interesting how they use him to to deploy. But generally, um, their defensive line is disruptive in the pass game, and then kind of their back. I guess back eight, if they run a three, three, five is, is more disruptive in the run game. And that presents a real problem for, you know, offensive lines because you've got to be mobile and you've got to count for a mobile defense. Um, and so like something like TCU's inside zone, for instance, doesn't go super great because inside zone, like we talked about is like, Hey, let's push them uh, vertically and let our running back kind of choose horizontally where he wants to go. And well, if Mike Rose, who is, you know, kind of a freak athlete is just sitting back there waiting for the running back to choose a hole, nobody's kind of moving up the, the, uh, levels there. Right. Right. For sure. Um, yeah, I, I, I know the thoughts on what you said, because I, I agree with you. Yeah. So that is my take. I apologize um, for not continuing. I'm a bad improv partner, but no, no, uh, no, uh, no I, I, <laughs> you're supposed to do yes. And, but like John yes Heacock and. has been, has been good again. If their offense can score, they will be able to, they, they, they'll, they'll be able to repeat somewhat of the offense of the, of the caliber of last year. Mm-hmm. Big 12 defenses are a lot better. Um, I think yes. that a lot of the rumors about big 12 offenses declining were just due to limited practice. And so you can see a world where, I can see two worlds. I can see two worlds where Iowa state returns so much continuity. It doesn't matter experience. It's just saying like, Hey, things were good at the end of last year. And they really got a humming. They had a great off season. They come in and they're on the war path. Like that might happen. But then I can also see a world where they bring back some guys who are just okay. And they're 75, 75th percentile guys. And they were beating teams last year that were like 85th percentile guys, but because of COVID and, and whatever we're playing, like, 70th percentile guys and so i could see iowa state getting better and still getting lapped if that makes sense uh, no i i, I think that's I, i'm not i'm not projecting that i'm just saying well let's break it down do you want to get a schedule yeah let's look at the schedule i, I i'm doing this we're, on the fly like, i haven't looked at the schedule no, okay we're, we're 50 minutes in anyway we also dispense interview oh my um, gosh they open with northern iowa at home gonna be a win um, Northern Iowa, shout out Ali Farouk Manesh for that uh, three-pointer against Kansas in the NCAA tournament in, I think, 2012. Um, Interesting. So call that a win, 1-0, right? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, home for Iowa, Alaska. I think Iowa's going to be pretty good this year. Um, I don't think they're going to win that game. Okay, I do. Actually, I'm calling that like 52% because it's at home. Let's get let's give them a win. That's great. Okay, let's give them a win. At UNLV. Why is that game shouldn't exist? Um, I think that Iowa State hired TJ Osberger from oh, okay. their coach, but the timeline on that it seems crazy, but that has to be you, no one should play at UNLV. No, that has to be like we stole your coach and we want to pay you less. Yeah, money. yeah. It's at 9 30 p.m. Oh, that must be just central. 
Central time, I guess. Good Lord. Oh my gosh, that rules. I wish I was on a Friday. <laughs> <I know>. <laughs> <laughs> okay, call that a win. So 3-0 and headed to Baylor to start Big 12 play in Waco. Probably a win. Yeah, this they're starting. The their, their schedule's backloaded. They're starting 5-0, and man. I know. At 6-0 and because then they're home for Kansas. Seven. I think they're starting seven and zero. I think they're a top ten team on yeah. October twenty fourth. Well, that yeah, yeah, because they have Oklahoma State for homecoming on October twenty third. Okay, and, and then so then they go to West Virginia, and then they host Texas. I'm at nine and zero, Grant. I am too. Holy sh! They're going to be ten and zero going to Oklahoma. Yeah, because they got te- they're at Texas Tech. Dude. That's game day. That's game day at Oklahoma. Seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, in Norman. Um, That's a loss. I mean, that is game day, and and that I think is the game where Oklahoma scores like sixty and like throws up double birds to the Big Twelve. Maybe I I think that I'm going lost just because the the times they've beaten them before they've played OU kind of early like October. Exactly. And exactly. Spencer Rattler is not Spencer Rattler of last year. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think they lose that game and then they play TCU. In Ames. I, I, man, it makes me nervous about, I think it's more likely that TCU goes like, well, we'll talk about this later, I guess, but TCU goes like eight and one and upsets Oklahoma Instead yeah. of wins that game in Iowa, but I think I think Iowa State or I think Iowa State TCU in Ames on Friday after Thanksgiving is for the the second spot in the Big Twelve Championship. I do too. Okay, I, like, and I hate to say this, taking my TCU bias out of it. Although I try, I always I always try to do that, though I don't necessarily always succeed. Iowa State wins that game, dude. Yeah, I'm trying to see what, what's TCU's. I mean, TCU hasn't done great in Ames. Uh, like Iowa State's going to be eleven and one. I think they're eleven and one. Uh, going to the Big 12 championship game. I think it really sucks for them because they're going to have to play Oklahoma twice in like three weeks or four weeks or whatever. But so I don't think they'll win the Big 12, but I I, I mean, I can see a path to Arlington so easily for them. Yeah. Just because all of this breaks out, like teams that might give you trouble, right? Teams that might give you trouble. Texas, you're hosting. Uh, Oklahoma State, you're hosting. Somebody scrappy like Baylor, who's going to have a great defense, you get early. Yep. Oklahoma State, you've got them at home who gave you trouble last year at home on homecoming. You beat the hell out of Kansas State last year, although, again, that was Will Howard. Uh, you, that, my, that's probably the trap game, I think, at Kansas State. That, that was going to be my next question. So we're, we're at 11-1 and one real easy for Iowa State. Yeah. Okay. What most likely losses? Let's rank them. Uh, at Kansas State. Okay. And then I go home for TCU, then at West Virginia. Well, no, sorry, I, I, I forgot about Iowa. Uh, well, but yeah, but that, that doesn't matter for Big Twelve, so I don't, I don't really care okay, about that. Okay. Yeah, that so, yeah, so Iowa, I, I Iowa is the most likely loss on their schedule. Yes. Yes. Uh, Conference so play. Right. Outside so at Oklahoma, Oklahoma, we're looking for a second loss. So you're saying at Kansas State is the most likely. Yeah. Then home for TCU. Then at West Virginia. I think I agree with that. I, I, I just don't think there's a world they lose to Texas. No, I don't either. No. Do you see? Okay, let me let me just poke poke holes in this. November thirteenth, they're at Texas Tech. What if that game is at eight thirty on a Saturday night? It, but it, I don't think it will be. It's Texas Tech and Iowa State. No one gives a crap. 
Right. And so I'm saying it's on like FS19 or something. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, I mean, no one sees it. I can see that being the weird loss. I don't know that Texas Tech, they did a really good job last year relative to their passing ability of stopping the run. They said, you have to beat us with the pass. And guess what? People did beat them with the pass, like we talked about. But maybe there's a world where that matches up well and and Shuck and Co can score enough to to kind of make it interesting. I don't know. I think I'm just I'm just trying to talk myself into that. But I think the weirdest loss on their schedule potentially would be West Virginia at West Virginia. But even then, it's Morgantown, so it's not that weird. I think I'd be surprised if they lost to TCU at home. I, I would be too. I, I mean, think that's probably the weirdest loss. I mean that that is going to be all the marbles. Iowa State is going to have to play three straight Big 12 championship games. If you think yeah. about that, down the stretch, November yeah. 20 at Oklahoma, November 26 versus TCU, November or December 3rd or whatever that next one is, Arlington. Yeah, I, I, I think their worst case is nine and three. Um, well, oh, I forgot, I forgot about Iowa. Their worst case is eight and four. Man, eight and four. The four uh, losses are. Worst case. Uh, uh, Iowa, Kansas State, Oklahoma, and then one of TCU, Texas, TCU, West Virginia. Yeah. Shoot. That seems a little more plausible than I thought. I'd probably bound it at eight and four and 12 and 0. I could see 12 and 0 for Iowa State this year. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I could too. Yeah. Again, I don't know that they have the downfield passing threat I, to make that I a reality. Don't. That's probably a smaller tail outcome. I think I'm projecting more nine to let, like my 95% confidence interval is nine to 11 just because I don't think they have the edge talent that's going to really distinguish themselves and you need a passing game. I, I don't think they're going to beat Oklahoma. No, yeah. not in, not, not in November. No. And so that, no. that's definitely that, that definitely puts a limit on, on 12 and 0. I think yeah. the probability I, of, of them beating Iowa and Oklahoma is, is low. Uh, well, I mean, yeah, like one of the two for sure, but not both. But beating both. Yeah. 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 Um, um, Interesting. So we both kind of have them at 11 and one with yeah. some potential weird stuff. Okay. How crazy is it for Iowa state to be in the big 12 championship this year? Like not at all. 1% not crazy. All. I don't know. Like none. Like, yeah, like 5% crazy. Yeah. Like it's not. Yeah. Um, when is the next year that Matt Campbell can win the big 12 2021? <laughs> That's okay. great. Okay. Um, let's uh, start. I was going to, I was going to play the alumni game. There yeah. I nothing. pulled it up. Let's do There's it. That's my favorite. Nothing. One. There's nothing. George Washington Carver. That's awesome dope uh harold hume noted citrus fruit excuse me harold hume notice noted citrus fruit horticulturist okay uh chris souls from the bachelor who got an agriculture uh degree chris yeah but everyone in iowa state gets an agriculture i know i'm trying to remember which one chris was oh he was a bachelor oh yeah that season sucked um, you want me to ask the stats? Why I could I could pull her in if you wanted me to. No, it's it, I can tell you you wasn't that great. Uh, Russell Stover of Russell Stover Candles. Okay, I've heard of that. Attended but did not graduate. Uh, we always had to go to sports. Sage Rosenfels, noted Houston Texans quarterback. I don't know if you remember Parker the Rosencopter. Man, what a guy! He sucked. Uh, dude, there is like nobody went to Iowa State. I mean, it's impressive. They got a lot in like computer engineering and mathematics. Because yeah. what else do you do up there? except look at that. But yeah, this is interesting. Um, no, it, it's a lot of people that were very successful and, are, and have done a lot of really cool work in like engineering and science 
I just don't know their name. There's no like musicians. I'm gonna Google and then we're gonna call this yeah. podcast musicians okay, from Iowa State. I don't. I just don't I, want people to listen to me Google things. I, I just like this blurb. Uh, Roswell Garst uh, established one of the world's leading seed corn companies and hosted Nikita Khrushchev on his farm in 1959. Those people are look. They are the driving force behind. They America. are. Yeah, I love our farmers. Uh, Bruce Roth invented Lipitor. And the vice president of chemistry at Pfizer. That's great. I'm looking at artists from Iowa. That feels like cheating. But then again, this isn't. The singer from Owl City is from Iowa. You would not believe your eyes. Yeah. Yeah, there's nobody, man. And that's nobody that like is funny. Oh, I got. Okay, let's let's let's, C.W. McCall. We got a mighty convoy. Oh, Okay. His name is William right. Dales Freeze. Yeah, so C.W. McCall is from Iowa. That's I'm giving it to him. Okay, sure. Why not? They can I have like it. it. You can have C.W. Con- McCall. Convoy rocks. The movie and the song. Big fan. Big fan of both. Um, cool. Okay, I think are we done? I think we're done. We're done. We're done. We're done. Cool. This is this has been great. This is the Purple Theory uh, podcast preview of Iowa State. Um, as always, Grant and I are talking about things on air, but, um, we're going to turn the paywall on the week of the Duquesne game. We've got a pretty good interview for that. That doesn't mean that you'll get restricted for your content. We're just kind of doing like a mutual trust thing and say like, it's going to be open and free. And if you like our stuff, help us keep doing it by supporting it. It's six bucks a month. It's super easy. And it just, you know, buys enough, um, coffee for us to, to be able to kind of yeah. keep doing this. So we'll turn that on the, the week and, and we'll do our normal stats preview and everything. Um, again, any questions about billing, whatever, please DM me on Twitter at stats of war. Um, and next week we're going to talk about Oklahoma and then we'll do kind of our in-depth TCU preview. We are going to shift to two podcasts a week, uh, pretty soon here. Cause game week is happening. Um, but, but, you know, back in season, it's not going to be anything different from last year. We're going to do a Sunday podcast. That's a recap. We're going to do a Wednesday podcast. That's a preview grant. I'll have an article. I'll have an article and then we'll kind of throw some other stuff in there. So we appreciate you guys listening. We appreciate you guys supporting and we'll turn back on the podcast and you know, the, um, the paywall and, uh, and I, I just don't want that to be a source of contention. I feel so weird on the internet being like, Hey, give us your money, but we're just working hard. And if you want to support it, we'd love it. It's tips. That's all it is. Tips. Tip your way. Uh, I bet Grant will take his shirt off for a 20. So, um, you know, see see what you want to do there. It's called 50 shirt. This has been the Purple Theory Podcast. You can follow Parker at Stats and on Twitter. You can find me at Grant McCalter. It's spelled like it sounds. We will see you next week. Parker, go Frogs. Go Frogs.